This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Investec Asset Management. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. It's Tuesday, so it's the big picture with Investec Asset Management. This week we speak to Philip Saunders at Investec Asset Management in London. Philip, one of the things that I think will be a feature of 2017 is the way that most pundits, analysts, economic commentators, whatever group you want to call upon, got the US dollar wrong because I think the consensus was that by the end of the year, and there's still a few months to go, but by the end of the year, the euro dollar exchange rate would be closer to parity than where it is now, which is closer to 120. And my contention is that the implications are manifold and profound of this movement. Well, they are indeed. And uh, I think it illustrates that uh, how dangerous these consensuses can be to your wealth and simply because basically at the beginning of the year we had the sort of whole sort of trump momentum thing and it, you know market participants felt that it was inevitable that interest rates were going to go up the us economy was going to be sort of uh, extremely strong on an absolute and relative basis and the dollar was uh, dollar's bull bull market was going to sort of continue to uh, unfold i'm glad to say we took a somewhat different view and the low in the euro is about 104 against the dollar. So we were sort of getting quite close to that sort of um, round number level, but didn't make it. And since then, it's quite clear that, uh, you know, populism has, you know, beaten a bit of a retreat. You've got Macron, who's coming to save the eurozone, and economic growth has significantly exceeded consensus expectations, where it's done the opposite in the US. So that really has been the sort of background. And it's pretty good because because effectively a weaker dollar means that global liquidity is generally sort of more supportive for markets. Okay. Whereas a strong dollar tends to basically squeeze international financial conditions, a weak dollar tends to do the opposite, which in turn has basically helped to underpin this sort of continuing rally in, uh, uh, in growth assets. Okay, so can we summarise then the reason for the demise, the mini demise of the US dollar and the ascendancy of the euro is as follows. The differing growth rates and growth paths between the eurozone and the United States of America, the United States of America underperforming uh, the eurozone over being an overachiever, if you like. And therefore, that means that US interest rates are not going to go up as much as forecast by many pundits and also by the chair of the US Federal Reserve herself, one Janet Yellen. Is that a fair start? The second point being that Trump hasn't really delivered. So the strong US dollar rah-rah United States factor has not disappeared completely, but has certainly dissipated somewhat. And uh, yeah, I suppose that's it really in a nutshell. Well, I think you've got to add one other thing, and that is that investor positioning was very extreme. High, the strong dollar, higher U.S. interest rate view was uh, deeply entrenched at the beginning of the year. And people forget just sort of how negative the outlook seemed to be for Europe, you know, with uh, various elections coming up. You know, you'd had Brexit obviously in the background. So investor positioning was a sort of key factor. And we've seen basically, obviously, that adjust very significantly. And of course, basically, uh, the good Mr. Trump, you know, actually a lot of that sort of rebound in terms of, um, you know, the US economy to some degree really was sort of related to sort of pre-Trump factors. But certainly he's not managed to add the sort of paraffin to the fire that infrastructure spending and, you know, basically tax cutting and so forth might have implied.
All right, the implications now. Let's start with Europe if we can, because for long people have complained that the euro has been too strong and it favours Germany, all sorts of different arguments. But essentially what's happening now was with the strong euro means that exports from companies like, uh, sorry, countries like Germany are less competitive. How big a factor is this in Germany's life and therefore the eurozone's life? Well, of course, effectively, a weak euro has been great for Germany because they've managed to keep unit labor costs sort of under control. And it means that they've remained extremely competitive. But uh, the exchange rate at which a Germany is competitive is very different to the exchange rate that in Italy might be competitive. So although obviously, you know, the, the euro's rally, you know, German industry can take that pretty much in their stride. You know, increasingly, if we actually, if the euro was to appreciate significantly further, then that might start to uh, be pretty troublesome for the general, the, the more general recovery in the eurozone. And the United States exports, of course, now become more competitive. Is that a big factor as well? I mean, is it, again, I'm being simplistic, but is it a country that will benefit from this because it exports a lot? I mean, we have to go back to basics here. Yes, I mean, I think that uh, clearly the U.S. is benefiting from the revival in global demand, which has been sort of, you know, it's been pretty much the only game in town for a period. So that helps. It's also been benefiting from the fact that it's sort of moving from being a significant energy importer to potentially an energy exporter. So that's sort of shifting in its favor. And, you know, US industry, you know, becomes more competitive, whereas competitiveness had been clearly crimped by the sort of significant rise in the dollar, certainly from sort of 2014 onwards. So the U.S. is in a rather better position. It's better for U.S. corporate earnings translated into dollars. The opposite is the case for, for example, European equities, which have struggled recently, having been sort of one of the sort of favored areas, you know, simply because there is this sort of often this inverse relationship between the currency and a local equity market. Right, we have to look at three asset classes now. The three I've chosen are commodities, and I don't think we need to spend too much time on that. We've seen the gold price vaulting its way through 1300 this week because of the weaker US dollar and commodities in general. Well, dollar-denominated commodities are going to do well, so that's an asset class that, for example, for South African investors is incredibly important. But what about the bond and the equity markets, particularly in the United States? Weaker dollar, what does it mean long-term? Weaker dollar, well, I mean, effectively, it means that... Um you know, if the dollar was to be very weak, then it may well be that U.S. interest rates have to sort of tr rise in order to attract the necessary capital because they still basically effectively have a savings deficit. However, I think that um, we shouldn't probably get too carried away here because investors, are, having been very short dollars, are now very long dollars. And so, therefore, these things tend to sort of ebb and flow. And it may well be that the uh, you know, Trump gets his act together in the second half of the year and has an attempt at actually sort of, you know, actually doing something that at the moment is completely discounted in the market. People, the expectations are that uh, he will continue to be sucked down into the into the Washington swamp. Corporate action now. Companies earning piles and piles of dollars and U.S. companies with lots of dollars overseas. What does it mean for them? Because this is a really, really big move. I haven't worked. I wasn't very good at math. So I haven't worked out the percentage from 104 to, to 119. But it must have had a profound effect on dollars that are sitting around. Well, yes. I mean, I think they're not necessarily sitting around in dollars. I think that if you're a, a non-U.S. investor looking at your returns, and you've had too many dollars. That's been really sort of quite painful because these are, you know, that's a pretty significant move for a currency in a pretty short space of time. Yes. But, you know, we're at pretty important levels now. And for the euro to become much stronger at this point, 
you know, requires a sort of further reallocation away from the dollar on the part of uh, corporates and um, uh, longer term investing institutions, I suspect. So on balance, you know, the dollar basically weakness is, has been a general boon. Yes. You know, is it going to continue or reverse? I mean, I think our view is that, um, you know, we're less sort of, if you like, sort of gung ho about expecting even further dollar weakness. Uh, but are we expecting the dollar to sort of go back into this sort of medium term bull market mode? No, we're not. So on balance, that is, you know, even if the dollar euro gives up some of its gains on balance, basically, you know, that's a reasonably constructive environment for commodity markets and for growth globally. Final question. When it comes to your investment process at Investing Asset Management in London, would you look at the, euro, the strength of the dollar, the strength of the uh, euro, whatever currency factor that you particularly need to look at when it comes to certain asset allocation issues, etc.? How important is this dollar strength to your, you know, the, the equation that you set out for your investments? Yes. We think that it's best to separate the currency decision from the underlying asset decision. And so, therefore, we tend to manage our, the currency portfolio of our portfolios, currency exposure of our portfolios, separately to the underlying assets, simply because you might want to be, if you like, um, long U.S. equities, like the FANGs, for example, and be you know, actually short dollars. And, you know, simply because, uh, and in the case of Japanese equities, you know, it was all about yen weakness. And so therefore, why basically have the yen exposure? So we think they're two separate decisions. And that, you know, so for example, at the moment, you know, actually, um, if you were long European equities, and you were hedging that back into the dollars, it would have been dollar, it would have been pretty painful because you'd be losing money on the equities and you wouldn't be benefiting from the, the move in the currency. So we keep the two decisions separately and uh, consider, look at the underlying assets in terms of prospective uh, local currency returns and then basically sort of decide on what the most appropriate currency mix is separately. So, um, and we've done that for years, and we think it's a sort of sensible way to, to deal with this. Because otherwise, you've got to get the asset class decision and the currency decision right in one swipe. And I think that's pretty difficult to do consistently. Philip, thank you very much for your analysis. That's Philip Saunders from Investec Asset Management in London. In South Africa, Investec Asset Management is an authorised financial services provider.